We're rolling. Okay, hello. You're listening to Loinlander, the most unofficial Outlander podcast. This is our second Loinlander podcast, and we are your hosts, Megan. And Joe. I'm Megan, a huge Outlander TV series fan. I'm Joe. I don't really like the show very much, but my wife makes me watch it. It's okay. Great. So we're here today to discuss episode two of season three. It's titled Surrender. But before we get started, there's a couple of things to discuss. In a recent interview about the second episode, Ronald D. Moore was talking about some differences between the book and the show, and he revealed some extremely exciting news. I will get Joe to read it. So this is a quote. Quote, Joe was right. Close quote. Okay, but let's actually read what Ronald D. Moore said. Oh, sorry. Uh, what it says is, in Ronald D., I don't know, how does he speak? How does Ronald D. Moore speak? Does he have like a, was he? Um, you know what? He speaks like kind of a regular like, guy. Kind of like a regular guy? Yeah. Uh, we're pretty much allowed to do what we want. We always try to do the book version first. We make changes because it doesn't work for some reason, or maybe we change the character. Uh, that means you have to follow a different path. Like Murtaugh is alive, and clearly that's a change from the storyline. Boom. Boom. <laughs> you heard it here second, because last week you heard it here first. Right. Murtaugh is alive. Yeah. So you were right. I mean, it's funny. You think... Being right would get boring, but it doesn't. It doesn't Every get week, boring. it's just it's just more and more awesome. So anyway, that that's fantastic. I'm really excited about it. Save Murtaugh in full effect, and yes. uh, now hopefully they're not keeping him. Like hopefully it's not. Well, he survived Kaladin, and now he's but dead. Yeah. he yeah. he's gonna die he's gonna, in episode three. Hopefully full, that doesn't happen. Full Rupert. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So also, I wanted to point out exciting news regarding the ratings for season three premiere. Oh, this is news. New info to me. Go yes. for it. Um, I guess they received a series ratings high with over 2.9 million over the first night that the battle joined aired. Good for you guys. Yes. So it um, marks the third largest ever for a Stars season opener, which is exciting and even more significant. And Joe, you will respect this. Outlander's performance with women 35 plus and adults 50 plus was second best of all premium pay TV this year, behind only HBO's Game of Thrones. That's rarefied air. That's lofty company. I know I dog this show, but let me tell you, if you're in the discussion with Game of Thrones, you're the real thing. deal. You're the yeah. real deal. So it's exciting to everyone, um, all of us obsessed Outlander fans, because it shows that the you know, the TV series is successful. And then hopefully, as a result, they will um, announce a season five. Because we know there's a season four. They're going to go into production in three weeks. But we need a season five. Like, we need more than just one more season after this one. We need it. We'll see. Okay, so for now, let's go into episode two, Surrender. So this episode was directed by Jennifer Getzinger, who is a director but also a script supervisor. For such films as The Devil Wears Prada, which is one of Joe's secreted, well, secret, piece, uh, famous favorite piece of trivia. Movie. One of my guilty pleasures is D Wears P. Yeah. Oh, I like that show. It's a great, it's a great it's a movie. movie. Yeah. It's a hell of a um, movie. Also, TV series including Sex in the City, Sopranos, and Mad Men. And she directed Sopranos and Mad Men. So she knows what she's doing. So that was the director of this episode. And it was written by one of the original Outlander writers, Anne Kenny who wrote a bunch of them in season one and season two, including the wedding episode, which is arguably the most popul popular 
episode of Outlander ever. The Red Wedding? No, that's Game of Thrones. Oh, it was I, called The Wedding. The Red Wedding was really good. Also had Tobias Menzies in it. It actually did, actually, as a, <laughs> as a, as a tie-in. That also did have Tobias Menzies in it. Okay, so before we do our beat-by-beat beat recap, let's do our favorite lines of the episode. So, Joe, your favorite line. Go. Well, my favorite line is when, well, this is a bit of a spoiler because if you haven't watched the episode, at the very end of the, of the episode, Jenny, uh, in a back and forth with Jamie, says, You brought this upon yourself! This is your own fault. You brought this on yourself. She's very distraught. I love that line because it was kind of a... Uh, Sort of like an entire statement for the whole show and all the characters in it. Pretty much anything bad that's happened, they pretty much brought it upon themselves. Yeah. Except for the old, you know, British occupation of Scotland. But they other than that, bring that upon themselves. Other than that, pretty much everything they've done is their fault. Okay. So my favorite line is when Fergus says. Speaking of brought upon themselves. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> is when Fergus says. I think I'm most lucky. In one stroke. I have become a man of pleasure. So I like this because he's shedding humor on a bad situation and he's trying to make Jamie feel better because obviously Jamie is going to take care of Fergus no matter what. He didn't need to get his hand cut off, but they kind of make a little joke and I don't know, it really lightened up the mood for me after watching. It's a pretty mature statement for like a 12-year-old. Yeah, well, he's got to be older than 12. How old the Ferg's supposed to be? I don't know. Um, okay, let's get into the beat by beat. Sure, I hit it. Okay, so the first shot we get, the over the title shot, which is something that I love about Outlander, how it does the like quick 20 second shot of what's to come. Yeah, no, I like that too. It's, uh, it isn't an actual piece of the show. It's a, it's a little bit of foreshadowing and no, it's, it's, uh, it's something I've never seen before in a show and I really kind of like it. I like it too. So, um, the scene that we see is a wanted sign. They're looking for the Dun Bonnet and they're offering a reward and um, it's basically furry Jamie. It's Chewbacca and a hat. Yeah. yeah. No, it looks good. Yeah. <laughs> and then we see that it's Scotland, 1752. So it's six years after the Battle of Culloden. We're at Lallybrock, and we see three boys all on a hunt for a weapon. And what's interesting is that these three boys who are all living at Lallybrock, only one of them actually belongs to Ian and Jenny. I'm just going to actually stop you right there. Yeah. What was the battle called again? Culloden. Apparently the battle was called Culloden. Thanks to our to one of our listeners, one of one of one, for uh, pointing out that we have mispronounced the Battle of Culloden. Um, I'm just going to say to all our listeners, that is, I apologize, but yeah. uh, also I don't because that is certainly not the first word I'm going to butcher and not right. the last. So, well, I don't know why we didn't know it buck, was Culloden because every character on the show was calling it Culloden. Culloden. But then when you and I were discussing it, we were saying. Culloden. Culloden. Canadian accents. Maybe, yeah, we'll call it Canadian. Anyway, carry, carrying on. Anyways, so um, three boys. The youngest one is Wee Jamie, who that is Jenny and Ian's son. This, the other one is Robbie McNabb, who was introduced in season one. He's the little boy that was being abused by his father, so Claire and Jamie kind of took them under his wing, and he's now a stable boy at Lollybrock. And um, the third is, of course, Fergus, Fergus. Who, who we've missed very much. It was and this very is, nice to see him. This is the exact same explanation that Megan had to give me when I was like, who are these three kids in right. the castle? Well, you knew Fergus. You well, recognize Fergus. Fergus. Yeah. yeah. Sure, yeah. Anyway. So they go and they find a gun that's been hidden by Rabbi's deceased father. This is the first thing I called out in the show because the gun was on like the 98th shelf and Fergus somehow... He found under it. Under hay. Fergus somehow, you know... Four foot two Fergus somehow spotted it and climbed up and got it. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, well, they knew it was there somewhere. So you didn't it was ask me about loin points. 
Oh, we didn't do no, that. No, we haven't talked about loin points. <laughs> well, let's talk about it. How many how many loin points would you give this out of 100? You know what? I'm going to ask you first. Um, I would give it... I gave the first one 95. I would give this one 96. Really? Really. Yeah, okay. I would give it... I would give it six. You would give it six yeah, loin points. Yeah, like my 90 less than you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um... Do you want to get into why you would do that, or should we continue? It'll all get fleshed okay. out, so to speak, as we go further on in the show. Okay. Um, so then we, the boys, after finding the weapon, then go to Lollybrock, and they are standing outside, and Ian and Jenny are being interrogated, and it seems as though this is a regular occurrence. The Redcoats are there, um, and they're both doing a very convincing job of acting innocent, right? Like, we cannot provide you what we do right. not know. There's yeah. nobody it's here like, named Jamie. There's nobody here by the name of Dunbonnet. They're obviously guilty. They know they're guilty. The, the Redcoats Red know, know they're guilty. guilty. <laughs> They've been there a hundred times. They take away Pegleg into the cart again for the hundredth time. What's Pegleg's name? Ian. Ian, yeah. Ian, yeah, away into the cart for a hundred times. For the hundredth time. He's going to jail like, again. Don't worry. They always let him go. Like, this is just a merry-go-round of denial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, and we learn that Jamie has been living essentially as a caveman for six years. And he only comes into Lollybrock to provide food. The occasional deer. Right. And we get an image of him with his long, shaggy hair. Mm-hmm. And long beard. And you said he actually looked pretty good. Beard works for Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's uh, he. Uh, I mean, the hair is not great. But the beard, no, it's it's kind of he looks kind of kind of like kind of cool. Yeah, he does. look. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, so he walks up to Lollybrock carrying a deer on his back. And I said, there's no way in hell that's a real deer. But I tweeted that actually to Ann Kenny, who wrote the episode uh, and she apparently claimed it was a real deer. She said it was a real deer. So um, I, and I he, still don't know if I buy it, but I'm not going to call it a liar. It looked real. It looked like a real That's deer. Magic television. And Sam Hewen is very strong, so he could carry that deer. Wow, well, okay. Um, anyways, and he gets an image of Claire. He gets a vision of Claire as he goes into Lollybrock, and she turns and looks at him, and this is his second Claire vision. And something that I love about it is that Claire, whenever he pictures her, looks so strong and self-assured and capable Mm -hmm. and i really like that because she is a strong woman and jamie jamie fraser loves her for that he is he does for sure what did i say i don't remember no of course uh when he walked in and saw claire with her what's that called her bustier her her corset corset yeah anyway um, like you know, it's his sister. It's just weird. I'm like, that's not that's no, not no, Claire. No. That's he his just, sister. It was just from it was just Terrible. a blurred vision. And then when Jenny turns around, she's wearing a coat. Like oh, no. it wasn't. I mean, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. But he's he's obviously just like he's just seeing Claire everywhere anywhere. he looks. Everywhere yeah. he looks. Yeah. And he's um. Put away, caveman. Yeah, and he actually doesn't speak for his entire first scene. They yeah. go and they're cleaning up the deer, and it's Fergus and Jenny, and they're talking around him. But he doesn't say a thing. Right. He not, just has not a thing. the most furrowed brow of any human. It actually it looks does. like... It looks like it must have been painful yeah, eventually because like, that brow is so furrowed. It looks like it was almost maybe like a prosthetic or CG yeah. brow because I don't know who it could looks, hold that looks, furrowness. Yeah. Like yeah. he must have had a headache. Like a brow cramp. Every night at yeah. the end of the day. That, yeah. That 
That's yeah. a really he looked just just like a grumpy robot. He did in that a grumpy scene. mute yeah. robot. I can see where you get that yeah. from. Anyway. So then we flash to Claire in nineteen forty nine and she is lying in bed and she is thinking about Janie while lying next to Frank. No, she's getting off. And we have naked we get an image of what she's seeing. Is this we need the to talk scene? about this. Is this yeah. the scene? Okay, already so I feel like it was farther into the show cuz no, that actually it sorry the, the beginning of the show was a long stretch of of mute robot Jamie, that's right. So yeah, yeah and then we get to this which go you go ahead. You start. Well, so we have naked Jamie walking over to the fire. And then he turns and he smiles at her. And that part, I actually thought, like at first it was kind of jarring, but then I thought, no, this is great. This is the female gaze. We're objectifying this beautiful man and there's nothing wrong with that. And I was kind of, I was into it. Like, good for you, Outlander. Normally it's a man and you see like a naked woman. This is like the reverse and I love it. And But then it just went like, to me, it went like a little bit too far and Jamie turns and gives her this like, he starts kind of walking towards her with this, I'm going to get you look on his face. And I, it made me wince a little bit. And I have a lot of love for Outlander and for James Fraser, but it made me wince. And for you, it was, it was utterly ridiculous. You said, this is the worst thing that's happened on the show it, yeah and i mean no, this has actually nothing to do with the nudity because no, uh, it doesn't like bother me no. at all i don't care whatever male nudity female nudity floppy wang in there whatever you want like i'm not like, yeah no it's, it, it was more the fact that it's like it was, turned into this weird like, it was kind of like harlequin romance very cover much so. yes, and it just wasn't it was just so cornball and it's gonna lose people like you yeah. like i feel that this episode would not have a six out of a hundred, <laughs> if it didn't have that scene for you, it was just so. Oh, it really, like, it was too much. Cringeworthy. It was. Bad. It made me cringe, and yeah, it made you it's cringe. It's my favorite That's, show. And you on still Earth, gave it a ninety-six so, somehow. Yeah. Okay. Well, it lost four points for that right. for that scene, uh-huh. and I didn't mind. Like I think I had a lot more tolerance of that scene. I liked the majority of that scene. It was only the last four seconds when he turns and starts kind of like walking towards her, like he's looking directly at the camera. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's when I got uncomfortable. That's bad. Anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway, so then we get a shot of uh, Claire bouncing along with Brianna, basically um, having like a lot of maternal love. And Brianna rolls over and Frank and Claire and Brianna almost have like a family hug and a nice moment. Claire puts her hand on Frank's chest. Um yeah, no, all I took away from this episode is that um, it is, as uh, as the father of a four-year-old, it is painfully obvious. I mean, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It doesn't really look like either Katrina Balfe nor Tobias Menzies have ever I've held, held a, a live child before. <laughs> they looked a little, yeah, they yeah. weren't, they, they, they didn't look like regular parents no. holding a baby. She treated it like it was like a large zucchini or something like that. Like She's being careful with spikes it, on it. Yeah. yeah, it was not, she was not very comfortable or maternal seeming like at one point right. at the very end she just kind of like baby's head kind of the baby pops just <laughs> kind of flops the side it was yeah it just didn't see yeah it was i found that i don't really i didn't really notice much else that happened in the scene because i found you were like why aren't you holding that yeah, baby why, properly well it, the baby's cute though it's basically yeah. like it looks like a like a giant kielbasa like it's just like it a little a pork baby. chop i love it's that baby. Cute baby anyway um so then we go and fergus visits jamie in his cave and his cave is actually very nice i would say his cave is nicer than i 
As caves go. Yeah, yeah, he's got like a little table in there. Well, an interesting piece of information. There was a James Fraser who hid in a cave for seven years after Culloden. Maybe that was um, his cave. And there's pictures of, the, no, no, his cave did not look it's nice. It's a shittier cave. No, yeah, it's a sh- if you're living in a cave for seven years in real life, mm-hmm. you're, the cave you live in is not nice. After seven years? You think you could polish that cave up? I don't know. No? It didn't look good from the outside. I saw a picture. Okay, anyway. Anyways, I really liked this scene because Fergus is so disappointed with Jamie for giving up on life. Yeah, he calls him a coward. Yeah, he calls him a coward and he pushes him. Yeah. And I feel like it really shows how close the relationship is because mm-hmm. Jamie might look scary to some people, but to Fergus, like they're close enough. Fergus. He challenges him. He provokes yeah. him. He pushes him. He's trying to get a reaction out of him. Fergus is not afraid of Jamie. Uh, but just to, to start it, when, when Fergus comes in, basically Jamie calls him out for basically being stupid and, and coming to the cave. Yeah, he says it's dangerous. And Fergus brushes it off. He's like, oh. oh no, nobody followed me. I right. was very careful. Which is just like... The first and a domino of dumb things Fergus does in this episode. Well, he's young. He's oh. very young. Um, so then Jenny's in labor and um, Jamie comes sort of limping through the gates of Lollybrock. And Mary McNabb turns around and says, oh, sir, I didn't know that you were coming today. And you said, why is he walking like he has a fused vertebrae? Yeah. He, Which that, he was. Why was he limping? Uh, he That was his whole, that was his movement for maybe the whole. Maybe because he's in so much pain, he that, just can't walk. Maybe that's what happens when you sleep in yeah. a cave for four years. So the three boys see a raven and Fergus shoots it dead because it's a bad omen. Yeah. And you get the shot of the redcoats hearing the noise. They right. stop on their, yeah. in their track. So, so actually, yeah, we have to stop because the whole reason that Fergus came to Jamie's cave is because he brought the gun and said, I want to learn how to shoot the gun. And Jamie right. was like, you're stupid. Put the gun away. Guns right. are banned. And that's why yeah. I called him a coward. Yeah. But Fergus. Being Fergus. Yeah. Like yeah. reaffirming Jamie's call of being stupid, uh, took the gun and shot the bird and alerted the redcoats and pretty much... Remember what I said about Jenny's line? You brought this on yourself? Yeah. yeah. It's just like a theme. Right. They could just they could just rename the show to You Brought This on Yourself, Lander. Pretty much. That's very clever. Thank That's you. That's very clever. Anyway. Um, so the Redcoats um, start, they obviously, they, they come back and we know they're coming back. Meanwhile, Jamie is holding young Ian, the baby, mm-hmm. in his arms. And Jenny starts really getting up on him about like remarrying, having a child of his own, suggesting Mary McNabb. As yeah. a possible contender. Anyone. Anyone. Is there yeah, a female like, come within on. 20 feet? Yeah. Get in on it. Um, she says it's God's sorrow that he has never had a child of his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not, anyways, then the Redcoats come in the house and they tear the house apart. Jamie's right. in a closet. Did you find this scene stressful or tense? No. Um, I, there's a few things that popped out of me. The first one is um, that Jenny. I mean, I've never given birth, but Jenny, I've been, she in, great. I've been in the room yep. and, uh, Jenny, she seemed really good. Jenny seemed very, like she had maybe just done like a, like a light round of cardio. Maybe yep. she had kind of a glisten to her and yeah. the, the room was just freshly Spotless. made. Yep. There was a couple like slightly soiled rags at yep. the end of the bed. And that was, that was about it. And, uh, so and that I found Jenny's that incredible in that scene though. Like Jenny's she is great. a She's, strong woman. What's the name of the actress? Laura Donnelly. She's good. An interesting piece of information. Laura Donnelly actually auditioned for the role of Claire. Mm-hmm. 
And I guess the chemistry between her and Sam Hewen wasn't right because they had been in acting school together. Mm-hmm. So they were very so familiar with each other. They were two brother-sister. Brother, sister. So they used her as Jenny, and I think she is a fantastic Jenny. I cannot imagine her as Claire, but I, it's because I can't imagine anyone else as Jenny. She, they look nothing alike, but other than that, they make great siblings. Yeah. yeah but Jenny even... looks like how she's described in the book. See, though, yeah. there you go. I have no yeah. idea. Um, anyway, so it's, it's a bit of a kerfuffle and then Mary McNabb actually saves the day by offering up the weapon and she just, she blames herself. She says, I was the one that, you know, made the gunshot. There was a raven. It's all on me. Which I find it really interesting that they they were just like, oh, okay. Well, we have the weapon now, so it doesn't matter about the baby. Like, aren't they going to notice that there's now a baby at the house? Yeah, the whole lie about the dead baby. That was confusing. It was just, yeah, they wrap that just, well, that didn't that just wrap up nicely? Well, maybe it'll come back. We don't know. Maybe. But no, we're not done yet. The, uh, yeah, there was the other part of that was it was the, like, uh, again, the quietest baby in, like, either. King of Men there has, like, ultimate baby, like, the baby was just overpowered by his reeking hair or what, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it was, be. I don't know what happened. It but was very it was the, lucky that it, the baby, the baby didn't, didn't make one noise. Well, he made a little all. bit of a noise at first, but then while Jamie was right. hiding, he made no noise, which no, was none perfect. Noise. Yeah. But Jamie was. had the knife out just in case. Right, just in case. And did you find this scene, like, were you stressed? Because I was very stressed during this scene. No. Okay, back in Boston, Claire wakes up Frank in the middle of the night, and the first thing out of his mouth is Claire, which shows that she is literally the girl of his dreams. Mm -hmm. And that's too bad, because we know who the person of her dreams is. James Malcolm McKenzie Alexander. Alexander, So she says to him, she kind of rolls over, and you can tell he's like, what's happening? And she says, I miss my husband. Right. Which is a very honest thing for her to say. But Frank and thinks she like, needs him. Kidding, not kidding. No. Like, no. And then she proceeds, she's like, you know what? Some things just need to get taken care of. And it, she's disconnected, but Frank is just happy. He's Frank's like, great. Whatever. This is, this yeah, is good. Bring it. I'm ready. Um, and so then we have another flashback to Scotland. Ian returns home and Fergus gets followed by the Redcoats. So he's kind of egging them off. On. on, yeah, egging them on, and uh, they catch him, and they cut off his hand, which yeah. is a very upsetting scene. And what I'll say is, it's interesting to me because the character of Fergus is recast in this season as a different person because he's older, right? So they have a young actor who could play a fifteen or sixteen-year-old, and he will be taking over the role of Fergus because Fergus goes on. So. It's interesting, though, that for this particular episode, they chose the young boy who we were attached to to show him getting his hand cut off because there's definitely more, like, emotion watching this Fergus, who we've loved for, for all of season two, get his hand cut rather than the new actor playing Fergus, right? Because if you think about it, that kid does not look six years older than... No, he looks exactly look, the same right, little floppy I feel like that yeah. was a conscious move on their part to use that actor who we're all attached to and to show that little boy getting his hand cut off because it is very upsetting. Well, I mean, you're right, it is. But I mean, I also think it's they can't just reintroduce... I mean, they had to show well, Fergus. I, I, I mean, think what they're going to do is in the next... I mean, I, I would assume The very that, next episode, they're going to flip him out? I think that the next time we see Fergus, it will be played by the other actor. And he'll be significantly older? 
Well, the actor that's playing older Fergus isn't that old. He looks like a 17-year-old kid. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also want to throw a little shout out to um, Angry Scottish Redcoat, who got a yeah. lot of the best lines and uh, shots and close-ups. It was, was really... Good. Yeah. He was kind of the... the uh, I think he's just a rando, and I don't know if we'll see him again, but he... Uh, he got a lot of a lot of play as as, yep. as the heavy in yep. this episode, and he was the one that cut off Fergus's. He sure was. Hand. And then Jamie goes rescues Fergus, puts a cloth around it and a belt, and then picks him up and carries him mm-hmm. away. And you screamed, "Take the hand!" Take the hand, yeah. It's like if I'm I'm sorry if I get my hand cut off yeah. and you take it's like the hand's right there. It's not like it fell in the creek. Just I mean I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, but take it. Don't just put your dirty rag on my open wound and run away like take my damn hand yeah they can't do anything with it but megan said what's he gonna do wear it around his neck like a necklace like i don't know just i don't know i still i would if it was me i think i'd want that hand yeah okay well they left it they sure did um and then the next scene it's actually a really great scene between jenny and jamie where he's like oh i should have stopped them he's so upset and distraught that fergus has lost his hand and Jenny, in what is probably my second favorite line of the whole show, says, well, then you'd be dead. And so would he. We'd all be dead. Like, she's so pragmatic, Jenny right? Jenny channeling her inner Murtaugh. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, don't be hard on yourself. Like, it was either this or we'd all be dead. Murtaugh's coming back. <laughs> um, and then Fergus and Jamie have this great discussion. And that's when Fergus says, now I'm a man of leisure. Mm-hmm. Um and then we go to Frank and Claire. Jamie, with a little bit of exposition for the fans at home, reminding us that he had promised to take care of yep. Fergus, even though I had no idea. But apparently he did. He did. Yeah, he did that in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Frank and Claire have Millie and Jerry over for dinner. And this is a nice Frank and Claire scene. They have a great yeah. dynamic. Frank gets up to get the guests seconds. It's not Claire. Frank's like, hey, you sit and drink your wine. I'm going to get up and just serve our guests. They like the pudding. They want whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're all over it. They're making sassy dialogue. Yeah. And then afterwards, Frank and Claire have a nightcap. Talking about sassy dialogue. Yeah. And Claire initiates some fooling around. Yeah. This is one thing, again, that I love about Claire. She's got sexual agency. When she wants sex, and she, she usually does. She goes She goes and gets it, yeah. No. She's going to make it happen. And why she knows, shouldn't she? She knows what why she wants. Why shouldn't she? And you know what she wants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Claire, or no, not Claire. Then Frank just... He messes it up. Just Frank Fs it all up. Because he says, look at me, open your eyes. And start, you, when we were watching it, the TV. like, Frank... She's like, what are you doing? Stop talking. What are you doing? One episode ago, she was throwing an ashtray at you, and now I she's know. like popping off her garters, and you're just like... Yeah. Eh. Claire, open your eyes. Yeah. Like, shut you up, like, Frank. Don't ruin it, Frank. What are you doing, you moron? Quit talking. This is your big moment. Anyway. Yeah. And then Anyways. She, yeah, so oh. she, she, yeah, well, then she, she's like, if you weren't in the mood, you could have just told me. Yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty much it for yeah. her. And Nobody and, turns down Claire. And that was pretty much like, it. Like, literally nobody turns down Claire. And I guess he didn't, but he was complaining, and that's you don't, to her. You take what you, <laughs> what you can get from Claire. You get, you Claire like Randall it. or that's Frazier right. is offering herself. Right. You just, you, you do it. You, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, so then Ian and Jamie have a heart-to-heart about Ian's missing limb, and Fergus misses, misses, missing his limb now. Oh, and then just and then of really course, just lame He compares it to Jamie's heart, because oh, Jamie is missing his heart. Because he doesn't have Claire. And I actually quite like that. I, I thought I that was, was... missing my ears for that, <laughs> that part. segment. Um, 
And then Jamie and Mary McNabb have a moment in the hall where Jamie says, the Redcoats won't give up until they find me. At which point you said, here's a question. If he's known as Red Jamie and the Dunbanette, then why doesn't he switch his hat and shave his hair? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that, I, I'm going to tell myself that that was a valid point. Thank you, Joe. That was a valid point. <laughs> Again, I'm going to repeat that. If you are known as Red Jamie and the brown hat, which yeah. is, by the way, what that means, mm-hmm. take off your damn brown hat and shave your head. Yeah. Like, something. surely to God, there's a razor. I said maybe, like, mash up some blueberries and rub that shit in your hair. Like, yeah. whatever. Just, like, like it's not... Disguise there's yourself. No, it's not, as I was saying to, to Meg, it's not like there's no Homeland Security, facial recognition... Google whatever yeah. fingerprint scan like it's just like they don't even like they saw the picture of him he just looked like a hairy swamp thing no like just, just that. clean yeah. yourself up and shave your damn head you can just walk right down the middle of Edinburgh Castle and no one even know you're there it's true that's a good point yeah Dumbass. no um and so then the next scene he's convincing Jenny and Ian to turn him in and Jenny of course is like no we can't we Ian, can't we can't Ian's Ian all for it kind of for it's it like because Jenny's like you'll get hanged and Ian's like actually. They're not killing Jacobites anymore. You'll probably just go to prison. I can tell you from personal experience because I've been there all the yeah. time. He's like, Thanks. you'll probably just go to prison. Which, by the way, I have to go to every two yeah, weeks. So, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't blame I didn't blame Ian at all for offering that up. Plus, we know that Ian does love Jamie because he's been living this way for six years, right? He's been he protecting better. him yeah. for six years. Um, and then Jamie goes to his cave, and Mary McNabb shows up. What? She shows up to the cave wearing a wool shawl that looks a lot like what Claire used to wear. And her hair is up in a bun the way Claire's used to be. And then she cleans him up. She tends to him mm-hmm. the way Claire used to tend to him. So then we get clean-shaven Jamie. And he's like, thanks, I'm just going to go out and have a river bath. I'll be back in a little bit. Thank at which you, point, inanimate Joe... chest of drawers who I care nothing about. <laughs> yeah. Please leave. And Joe's like, she's going to take her clothes off. Which she does, and she is waiting for him when he returns in what Joe described as a curtain nighty. <laughs> yeah, it's like she couldn't have. I like how she changed from the unsexy brown thing to the Even possibly less. least it sexy. Dirty. It looked dirty too. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was. Yeah, it was basically like a like she had worn some giant white curtains. It's like hello. Well, I know. You're not getting not getting no. mountain man phrase. But it that worked. Way. It did work. And this scene is so interesting because this actress is not unattractive. Like she is a pretty woman, but they like the angles, the camera angles were awkward, and the lighting was not flattering. And it was. I mean, you certainly don't feel excited for him even though you don't blame him for going for it because it's like yeah just let's do this like, you're about to cave. go to prison yeah. six years in a Sorry, cave six years in a cave you're about to go to prison to live with men mm-hmm. like so just go for it but at the same time so, you don't feel like excited for him you're not like we know what happened last oh time. that's too bad that they just switched scenes because i really wanted to keep watching right no like it was it was business it was yeah it was business but then Jamie, the manliest king, he just starts openly well, sex crying. It's <laughs> and she's like, it's hard for him. he's like, because he loves Claire. That's and right. he says, and he says, I just always close my eyes. He's like, yeah, I just, anytime. He's like, I'm, I always do this. I just, I'm closing right. my eyes. That's what I'm into, which right. he's not. Claire's and, doing the same no, thing. Both totally. of them are just closing their eyes. Yeah. Historically, anytime in this show he has sex with anybody but Claire, he cries. Okay. So that's because that's how it's been established. He was raped by Blackjack. Yeah, it's that's correct. That's what I'm referring to. And yes. then Mary McNabb. Okay. Then we're back in Boston. She she, and we're... Pardon? She, she didn't rape him. Who? Anyway, carry on. 
Okay, then we're back in Boston watching Claire walk with Brianna in a buggy and we get something for the first time in season three that we have not had thus far. We get voiceover. We get into Claire's head. We hear that she needs something more than just Frank and Brianna in order to feel whole. She realizes she wants to become a doctor Mm -hmm. and she's rediscovering herself. And as she rediscovers herself, she gets her voice back and we get her voiceover back. Very nice moment, and then she goes to med school. That's a very. I just want to say that I feel like that is a very astute analysis. Of oh, the, why of the thank scene. you. Very, very. Why very thank nice. you. Bravo. Um, thanks. So then she goes to med school and meets Joe Abernathy. It's very exciting for you. It was exciting for me Meaning, because I'm a book reader. Meaningless to me. But what was your overall seems, impression of him? Seems like a very nice guy. Doesn't he? Yeah. They were just both like, well, everyone in the room hates us. Let's sit together. But there was a really cute moment. They shake hands and you can see there's a genuine smile on Claire's face. She's like, very pleased to meet you. And you can tell that she is very pleased to meet him. And then when the professor comes in and starts talking, there's a really cute shot of Joe Abernathy and Claire looking at each other and smiling, like almost like, ee! like they're so excited that... The class is about to begin. You feel happy for them. You do. Like, you're really happy. And then, of course, it pans on her face as the professor says, okay, gentlemen. So she's being ignored, but I mean, that... What are you going to do? That doesn't stop. They let her in the room. Yeah. All those little bow-tie dudes are scowling at her. Exactly. And she's got a friend, so that's good. And then, in what I found to be a shocking scene, we see... um, Claire and Frank getting into bed, discussing Brianna, discussing the day. They say goodnight to each other. They smile at each other. And then the camera pans out. Two separate beds. I know. I I was very surprised. This was a very, very well shot and very well uh, blocked out scene. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't, I did not. And it felt like a kick. It felt like a kick to me when I saw it. Yeah, I didn't see it coming and it surprised you as well. It It did surprise me. Yeah, no, it was, and they were the tiniest beds. But that's, it's because they're single beds. No, I know, but I think they were smaller just for effect. Like, it looks like they were lying on ottomans. They were tiny little, little, sad ass bed. Like It was sad, yeah. And you realize that they have failed as a married couple. Yeah. Like, they're still partners. They're going to raise Brianna, obviously. But they can't do it. This is something that obviously works for them, these two separate beds. Because neither of them seem upset. They smile authentically at each other and say goodnight. Which I find weird and out of character for Frank. I don't really get... Well, time's passing, right? So, like, time is passing as she realizes she wants to go to med school. And then she goes to med school. So, time has passed. Obviously, they've purchased two beds and set them up. And so, they've... I think think Frank is a very rational man. And I think... I don't know. I think that he realizes it's not happening with Claire. And I think he probably knows that it might happen with somebody else. Oh, really? I don't know. Is that a guess or a book thing? Maybe a little bit of both. Okay, all right. (laughs) I don't know what they're going to do in the show. I don't know what they're... But I would assume that Frank is like, okay, so we're partners for sure. And because as far um, as he considers... I mean, Brianna is his, right? And mm -hmm. as far as anyone else in the world knows, Brianna is his daughter. So he's not going to leave his wife and daughter. That would look very bad. It would. And he... Frank's going to get himself some some Frank, though. I think so, yeah. Hmm, interesting. I'm, I might be wrong. We'll yeah, see well, what happens. Uh, I'm intrigued. Um, so then the next scene, Jamie returns home to Jenny. He takes off his hat and says, Jenny, I'm home. Makes a big deal of it. And the red coats come out and they capture him. 
and Laura Donnelly just knocks it out of the park in the scene. Yeah, she was great. She the the emotion was super oh, real. I started crying watching her. I actually uh, I said at the end of the season that I felt that at the Sam, episode. No, the end of the, the well, I guess yeah. the end of this ep- scene yeah. was the end of the episode. But I said that uh, I feel like Sam Hewen's best acting is when he's Jamie Fraser acting. He was really good he too. Was, because he when was she good. screamed that line out at him at the end. Like when she said, I'll never forgive yeah. you. Like he kind of turns and looks at her like, you seem like seem that's legit. very real. That, yeah, that seems like a legit thing. He's like, wow, you were upset yeah, about this, this plan. Playhouse anymore. And you know what? When the red coat hands her the money bag and says, thanks for your cooperation. Jenny can't even look. She like looks the other way as she takes it. Like she just feels, you can, she just looks yeah, she's like pissed. she's going to throw Jenny's, up. She just Jenny's, looks. And she's got like all this weird like coloration. Like she's just. Oh, it's emotion. Yeah, I know. She's. She's incredible. Super pissed. Um, yeah, and I think Jenny would have gone on sacrificing the whole family for eternity. Like, has been going to yep. prison. Fergus got his hand cut off. I'm getting interrogated five seconds after I've given birth. That's okay because my brother is safe. Like, that's right. the kind of family member that Jenny is. Mm-hmm. She's a good family member. Anyways, Jamie gets pulled away in chains, and we hear bagpipes. And for a second, it looks like Jamie does too. He kind of looks up, but then we realize that it's actually Claire hearing them in Boston. As she walks along over a bridge, there's a man playing bagpipes. And um, no one appreciates listening to a bagpipe probably in the world more than Claire at this time. So she takes a bill out of her purse, probably a $100 bill, and puts it in his thing. Why probably a $100 bill? I don't know. I feel that's like, like a, that's how much she appreciates like $10, it. like $10,000 yeah. back then. Yeah. Anyways, and then she just walks away alone with the sounds of bagpipes trailing behind her. The only bagpipe song ever written. I know. <laughs> that famous do, one. Do, yeah. Do, 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 and that's the episode. So what was your favorite scene of the episode? Oh, sorry. Uh, my favorite scene of the episode. Whew. Well, we're talking about an episode that I ranked 6 out of 100. Yeah. So, so my favorite scene. My favorite scene of the episode. Man, I think it was... Um, I think it was the scene where uh, Frank tells her to open, asks her to open her eyes. Mm-hmm. It was my favorite only because it was the one that actually like stirred any amount of emotion yeah, in me. Yeah, you were you were emoting. Most of it, yeah, scene. I was like, yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing, <laughs> dumbass? Anyway. Um, okay, so that was your favorite scene. So my favorite scene was when Jenny turns Jamie in, just because. No, that was really good. That yeah, was that it was, was well a, done. And I actually felt like when I was mm-hmm. watching it, I knew it was going to happen because I've read the books. But the way it played out, I actually felt so much for both. I felt for Jenny, but then when Jamie turns around and looks at her, I felt bad for him too. Just to talk about that for a second, I find it weird that um, so the poster has him in his like floppy hat and with his shaggy grizzly man. But then he shaves himself right before, like, wouldn't have been, I mean, I guess So I think they think that they have found Red Jamie, but maybe not the Dunbunnet. Because at the beginning they were saying they didn't know if it was the same person, but they suspect it was. Makes sense. So maybe he's like, it's me. Okay. Red Jamie. But then, I don't know, because he's got the hat and he puts the hat on the, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, What was your least favorite scene? The plot hole. Um, my least favorite, well, my least favorite scene was the Harlequin romance breaking the fourth wall. Gaze. Gaze. Yeah. yeah, Jerk off gaze thing. Yeah. No, I wasn't a fan of that at all. Where he turns and gazes at the camera. Yeah. So that was my least favorite scene as well. Um, okay. MVP. MVP of the episode. I mean, I think it's gotta be Jenny. 
She delivered Laura a baby Donnelly. without breaking a sweat. Yeah. Showed some emotion. So much emotion that her face was actually yeah. blotting. I don't know if that was makeup yeah. or just her. No, I think it was pure aneurysm. emotion. She was doing good. Yeah. Yeah. So she was good my you, MVP as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All Jenny all the time. All right. Good work. Good work. That concludes it. Uh, no, actually, sorry. I'm oh. not. I'm not done. Oh, you're not. There's one other thing I want to touch on really quick. As much as I am right about Murta, I am because it is how many years? It's been six years. I feel like. I am, this is just one in a long line of disappointments with this show, but I feel like if Blackjack actually was, I went on and on last episode how Blackjack had to be alive. He's not. But that is just, I, there's got to be another flashback in there somewhere. Because that is, I mean, if he hasn't shown up in six years, I'm willing to admit that from like a continuity standpoint or by a timeline. Because he wouldn't be hiding, right? Be it makes sense that we wouldn't have seen Murtaugh at this point because Murtaugh is probably living in a cave too No, somewhere. that's a good point, actually. Sorry, I retract this. We haven't seen Murtaugh either. So, you know what? Blackjack's still in play. No, 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 because... Still in play. No, listen. It makes sense that we haven't seen Murtaugh because... Right. He's going to be living in the same way that Jamie's been living. Right. But Jack Randall... Right. If he was alive, first of all, the Redcoats weren't just going to leave him there forever. They would have come and collected Mm -hmm. him and then he would be... If he was alive, he would be alive and people would know about it. And the first thing that would be out of his mouth is... Is, is James Fraser is still James alive? Fraser. So he's for sure dead. But or it makes sense that we maybe, haven't seen Murta. But perhaps he's relocated to another city on the other side of the planet. What city might that be? I don't know. I don't know Keep either. Keep listening. Keep, yeah, stay tuned for Joe's random theories maybe on Jack Randall. <laughs> maybe there's a print shop in the city. Who knows? Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, there that's we go. very clever. There we go. Okay, so that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Uh, thank you for probably not tuning into this week's episode of Loinlander, and uh, you know, feel free to maybe tune in next week. All right, good night. Gotta get back in time.